0: You're listening to CISO's Secret Podcast, brought to you by Checkpoint. And now, welcome your host, Grant Asplin.
1: Hey, welcome, 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 everyone. Thank you so very much for joining me on another episode of CISO Secrets. My name's Grant Asplund. Man, you know, I'm the luckiest guy on the planet, I'm telling you, because this is where I get a chance to talk to global chief information security, chief data, uh, chief information officers from uh, huge, amazing companies all over the planet, uh, it's really, uh, I mean, I'm the fortunate one on this uh, whole task, I can tell you. And uh, today is really, I'm super excited to talk to Aman. Uh, so let me just give you a preamble on this guy because, I mean, I, I, I'm gonna, like a lot of my guests, I could spend. Uh, 20 minutes just talking about all the things they've done to get to where they are, but I'll make it quick. Web developer, uh, senior analyst, chief technology officer at a company, AGF Technologies. This is back in 03 to 04. Uh, Then he founded a company or was a co-founder, Pi Squared. That was a few years consultant at MasterCard International. Adjunct lecturer for Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville. Uh then on seven plus years at City, from a technology information security officer at City Mortgage up through lead business information security officer, uh, ending at senior vice president group group information security officer. That's all at City. Adjunct lecturer here again, University of Missouri, St. Louis on, gosh, as Express Scripts, Deputy CISO and Senior Director, Information Security and Information Risk Management, Canadian Banking Association, Vice Chair and Cybersecurity Specialist Group. Member of the Customer Advisory Board Financial Services at Akamai, Member Product Advisory Board at Symantec for a few years, Member Client Advisory Board at IANS. Holy moly, we're getting uh, near uh, now, or he we, we spent four and a half years at BMO Financial Group first as the U.S. Chief Information Security Officer, CISO, and had enterprise information security solutions, ended at the chief information security officer, and then board member, clear data, industry advisory, board member, 630, board member, high trust, holy moly. And then we get to where he is today. Initially, Chief Information Security Officer, then Chief Information Security Officer and Head of IT Operations. And now, for the past nearly four years, our guest has been the Chief Information Security Officer, IT Risk and IT VMO, Aman Raheja I am so thrilled to have a chance to uh, talk with you for a while, man. Thank you very, very much for joining the program.
0: Thank you, Greg. Very pleased to be here.
1: So, hey, I always just kind of read through these in amazement and, and rattle it all off. But I always like to push it back uh, to you and kind of maybe you can take a minute and talk about clearly a heavy emphasis on security and uh, uh, a variety of areas. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today, and and we'll just kind of push it from the dock that way.
0: Yeah. So interestingly, I can't say this was planned uh, because it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I, as you as you read from the very beginning, uh, I done software development. Actually, initially it was back in India where I did my undergrad, and then I came mm-hmm. to US and. Again, started writing programs and doing software development. Uh, the, the website that I took over from my predecessor actually got hacked. And my boss walked into my workspace and said, hey, you own this website now, so go fix it. <laughs> and I had no idea what was broken. Oh, so no. I had to teach myself how to do web hacking. Wow. Uh, that was my starting point of learning by simply using a couple of books because we're talking about in 2001, 2002, it wasn't the YouTube and all the Google information and the podcast and, you know, everything that you can find today available back then. Yeah. So uh, Off to Borders, uh, buy a couple of books, which I still have them. Um, mm. those, those remind me of my start. and uh, Yeah taught myself how to do pen testing uh, started doing pen testing for other organizations within st louis area hmm. and just stuck with the field since then
1: that's extraordinary so you bring up a really interesting point and and it's the accessibility to information knowledge right learning yep and in those early days that's what it took right you got to get a book you know you know you yeah. you literally you're thrown into the 12 foot end of the pool and it's hey buddy swim right? right where there's there's a lot more wading pools uh so to speak today right where you can go to youtube and how to and literally someone showing you just about anything uh it's pretty amazing so One of the things that I find interesting, Amon, is a lot of the uh, executives, the leaders that I speak with started out in the development world, kind of started out as a programmer, developer, writing software, and then evolved. Do you think, how do you feel that maybe has helped or contributed to uh, your role as a chief information security officer today?
0: Yeah, I think uh, personally, and I can also speak for a lot of my peers that I talk to who had similar journeys, uh, regardless of whether it was software or network engineering or a system administrator, and now they are doing CISO roles in different organizations, or CIO uh, for that matter, uh, it's extremely helpful to have those that fundamental knowledge of the basics on how things work. Mm. At, at the crux of what we do, underlying is tremendous amount of engineering power. Right. That if you understand it well enough, you can actually do a lot better as an executive. Uh, I firmly yep. believe it. And I think a lot more successful people have those kind of backgrounds. Now, um, not to say there aren't people who da- don't have that type of depth. Right. And they are also successful. Potentially bring a completely different skill set because as an executive, not just the technical knowledge, that's extremely important. It's your business acumen, how you interact with the boards, how do you make your case to get the right budget? How do you convey risk Mm. in a meaningful way that the business understands? Like all of that Mm. comes together at some point, which is all important. So technical knowledge, very essential, is extremely helpful, not adequate or sufficient. To be successful in a senior
1: role, yeah, good point. I think, and and you highlight uh, among the amazingly uh, complex and varied roles that a CISO has to fill. Right, the 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 right. fact that you need to be able to go and you need to go and talk with the developers and the development team with a clear understanding of what they're doing in the organization. Equally, you need to have that same. A comprehensive and sound discussion with the board and with uh, the right. business stakeholders that are using the applications, right? And I think yeah. it, it. I think a lot of people mistakenly think a CISO is just information security, but the roles really evolved quite a bit, hasn't it?
0: It has, um, ended. I remember at one point being in security, it was adequate for me to just have the technical details mm-hmm. and be able to have that conversation. Uh, what changed is at some point I decided I do want to get into management. And so once you make that decision, there's a completely different list of skill set that you need to that work on. Yep. Communication, presentability, able to answer a question in front of a firing squad that could be your board. Right. Because you're literally um, on the spot. Um, a boat could have read something in Wall Street Journal and you have to come up with an answer. And right. So there's, there's a lot of things that you have to continue to absorb, consume. It takes an ongoing learning mindset yep. like, to be successful. Yep. And uh, to your point, ability to talk to the business in terms they will appreciate is important. That, going back to Grant, your earlier point about so much information available.
1: Right.
0: The good and bad news is there are so many incidents, and so many times Wall Street Journal talks about breaches and incidents that I don't have to do that for right. most of the boards and executive members anymore.
1: Yeah, the, the, the saber rattling and, and fear mongering is yeah. adequately covered by the trade rags today because it's so right. often we hear about breaches and concerns, right? right? Yeah, the old right. days it wasn't quite that way, was it? We, I mean, there was a lot, uh, what do we got to worry about, right? There was right. a bit of a different view, but it's clearly become much more dangerous out there.
0: Right. So I think uh, some of us have come to that realization that that part is covered. Let's talk about how does it impact our organization and translate it to the board in terms of this is a lost opportunity if we have to, I'm just making up an example, spend money on recovering from an incident versus actually making that investment to make our members experience better. Or there's an incident that could create operational resiliency issues and we cannot serve our members right and those become the more important aspects that people understand and appreciate and helping right. them translate real world into how it applies to us in that language goes mm-hmm. a very long way
1: yeah right. yeah well and i think what's also happened right is the overused term digital transformation i mean the the fact that we are digitizing it, virtually every aspect of our businesses means that every one of those now digitized components have an exposure have some element of risk with regards to being connected to this big monstrosity we call the internet right and yeah. so That's also a double-edged sword because we're doing extraordinary things. But I think um, it also highlights how much more the fine hairs reach of, of cybersecurity reach into every aspect of our business today. You know, I mean, every employee has to be aware of it and understand the importance of it to a certain degree, right?
0: Absolutely. Actually, let me break it up my response in two parts. So first of all, I think the digital transformation definition has continued to evolve and change. And I don't know of any two companies that actually even define digital transformation the same way. I agree. There was a point. So this is I'm talking about earlier in my career when We went through a digital transformation. This is an organization. So you you read all the names of about 12, 15 years ago, where it truly meant moving away from paper and digitizing. And that was part of the digital transformation besides, you know, attracting more people online and all that stuff. Right. It moved to creating mobile applications is now digital transformation it moved on to adopting cloud is now digital transformation. Yep. To now the next generation of digital transformation is let's everyone go adopt generative AI. Yeah. So you have to understand the business context of the digital transformation. And every time security principles are applied differently because it's completely different application of the outcomes you're trying to achieve for the business. Right.
1: Yep. Yep. You make, you, uh, uh you i think make a really good point about this industry we 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 always you know Gartner and uh, other pundits they love to put boxes around things right sure. they love to to have nice neat little boxes and columns and categories and circles that things fit into and i i think to your point digital transformation doesn't fit in a box. It really does mean something different to every individual because it's a where you are in that move from analog to digital and what components within your organization, right? I mean it's so sure. big. And you're right, it's 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 also those next phases of leveraging the technology, right? Cloud, IoT, OT uh, it it's just gonna keep going. So you brought up AI. You know that's the term de jour. Um, how are you guys dealing with AI and and really specifically generative AI? And are are you allowing your employees to freely have at it? What's the controls you guys got in place? Any?
0: Yeah. So uh, g- great. Point uh, especially uh, given context on um, how organizations are responding to these changes. I think at this point, I will be um, pretty surprised if most organizations of you know our size or you know even others weren't already using some form of AI. Uh, So that I kind of think is a given. So people already know how to do modeling and how to implement some of the technology from a machine learning standpoint or some level of artificial intelligence. I do want to put a caveat. I I find it scary when people interchange AI and ML, which are two very different things, so they could have some interlinking and dependency. So uh, with that said, um, with generative AI, I feel like there's kind of a rush for everyone to go adopt it without fully thinking through what it may or may not be able to do and what are the risks associated with it. Mm-hmm. So the 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 specific question that you asked about us having all employees go out and use it. Um not that openly because we don't currently fully understand the risks. Yep. Uh, folks if they're trying to explore, they can use their phones, they can you know do other things and uh, explore or you know test and learn and etc. But from a organizational standpoint, we've tried to put a little bit more structure around it. There's a governance team that exists, uh, run by the leader for AI within our organization, and brings all the right people together from risk, security, business mm-hmm. to help make decisions: what is valuable for us to pursue and what are the risks associated with it, because. Uh, The things that we keep hearing, as in quote unquote warnings, is about responsible AI and are we able to get to responses, outcomes that uh, don't have bias, are not inaccurate, uh, so that they mislead the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. Like we can't have it working in the same way Chat GPT works today, where if right. I don't, don't know the answer, I'll still give you an answer. Sure. Um, I can't do that with a patient, right?
1: Right, that right.
0: never have a good outcome.
1: Yeah, um, that's good. If, yeah, that's a good point.
0: If, right, if Gen AI makes up stuff. So you right. have to learn how to put the guardrails around, around it with your large language models and put the rules and restrictions in place so that it does not have unintended consequences in our case, from a health standpoint, would could mm. be pretty critical.
1: Catastrophic.
0: Uh, in general, I would say for anybody adopting
1: yep. Yep. it. Yeah. It seems like, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I struggle, Amana, uh, quite frankly, with some of the aspects of uh, these large language uh, models, this generative AI, and specifically when you have outcomes that you're not able to explain how you got them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is occurring in the large open uh, environments. And, And I think what organizations and correct me if I'm wrong, I'd love to hear your thought on this. But there are kind of two ways you can have a you can have one that's got a fence around it and it's locked and it's just yours. And that's your large, right? And you've created and have that large language model or you've got a chat GPT or something that's out in the wild. And I think clearly it has to be contained and controlled because it comes down to what data is going in and what data is then subsequently going to be able to come out, right? Right, right. No,
0: that's a great point. And I think, so that is kind of the, the irony of this whole aspect because in one way we are trying to create artificial intelligence which means you may not be able to predict how it gets to the answer it gets to because you know th- think about can i predict how grant will respond to something
1: well maybe mm-hmm. me but uh, but no <laughs> yeah i i you i right? i see your point yeah
0: so you you're, you're trying to create these entities that you want to allow to make decisions on their own by learning on their own.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So that is the, that is the tricky part and why I call it an irony on one side, we want to be able to have this somewhat automated auto thinking entity that could make life easier for us. On the other hand, for all the right reasons, we are worried about the consequences of it. Yep. And again, I'm not going as far as you know the Terminator Skynet.
1: <laughs> right. Right.
0: But some people you know, are. Uh, some, some people are. I, I'm not. I, I won't deny that either. I can't. Uh, maybe I can't see that far out. You know, I'll just take that as a as a you know modest way of saying I don't know. Uh, yeah. It is okay. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand. Um, People truly see productivity opportunities. People truly see making life better opportunities, which I totally understand we want to pursue to make life better, to make society better. Um, It's just that not understanding some of the consequences, which we have not fully rationalized, is a watch-out item, without a doubt. Yeah, and I think
1: there's, you know, from my perspective, I see it as a – it, it's an assistant that I assign tasks. And for me, it seems like the tasks that it is ideally suited for are tasks that aren't, that don't contain any proprietary information, but more a process of, of creating a a presentation say on a certain subject or writing a blog it's that content creation that uh, and of course in the same way that you have a, an assistant you assign a task to that you're always going to inspect what you expect but that's how I kind of see it really um, getting used but I want to throw something at you and just find out how you think about this so I was having a conversation about you know generative ai this this new world we're going into and he was talking about it wouldn't it won't be too long where we've actually got ai that's going in and doing every uh, available probe on your network to assess and determine what's in it and what's protecting it so that You know, it it starts to uh, go back and do some research on the products that it discovered, the versions that maybe you're using and any CVEs or exploits that are currently, right? So it starts to become a very interesting volley that could occur given the task of first go look at it, do the reconnaissance, bring back versions, do the research. Find out if there's any exploits. Now, what's the best way to take advantage of those vulnerability? You see what I mean? It can yeah. really be uh, sophisticated, right?
0: Yeah. And the the interesting thing of what you just explained, it could go both ways in the sense bad guys will use it to figure out how to misuse. We could use it if something similar, to get ahead of it and how to patch early enough to yep. not leave things open and exposed. So there, there's always going to be that uh, yin and yang that's going to happen. Yeah. fighting fire with happens. fire. Yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, I think uh, to your point, though, those are some really interesting applications and possibilities that, you know, within security we need to explore because it won't be too late before bad guys start implementing or utilizing or leveraging these capabilities? Oh, I think they already yeah, are. There's yeah. no
1: question. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just like everything else. Like There's, there's yep. well very well-known data marts that are out there in yep. the dark web that are yep. we utilized to harvest information. Well, guess yep. what? Data marts didn't come up there originally and not with that intention. Right. And here's now another possibility that, that exists. So we we, we got to figure out how to get ahead of these things, no doubt about it. And the the other thing I'll mention is uh, even within our business units, when GAI or LLM implementations are being pursued, uh, there's a decent understanding on how to secure a software. So that part I get, code scanning, vulnerability, remediation, all that stuff. Yeah. This is now getting on the verge of which is outside of security into safety. Mm-hmm. And that is another element or dimension that becomes important given the type of application. Is this not only secure? So someone can't access information or bring it down, but are the outcomes safe for its what it's going to achieve?
1: Elaborate on that a little bit on what, you know, maybe an example on on, on that.
0: Okay. So I think the simplest example I can think of is um, self-driving driving cars yeah. that use AI. And safety is a big element from a crash standpoint. Right. Um, I, I'm actually going back to the example that I was mentioning earlier. If generative AI creates or makes up a prescription for one of our patients, that is a safety issue. It may not be a security issue. Mm. So how do you I see. merge those two things from an outcome standpoint? And we don't have chief safety officers. Right.
1: Anymore. Right. And
0: so, who's going to come up with trying to figure out how these outcomes are validated? This mm. goes back to your earlier point, Grant, about, um, you know, can you trust how it's coming up with the outputs it's coming up with? We don't. So how do you valid the outcome then? Right. And is right. it within the parameters that you want it to be?
1: Yeah. Well, this, it all comes back, right? It's really, it comes back to, it's the data. <laughs> I mean, it, it's the data yeah. that it's uh, getting fed. It's the data that it's... Learning, gathering, gaining, right? Uh, It's the data. And I think the biggest challenge we'll have is making sure that it's pure and pristine and not reflecting any bias or any uh, influence that ends up tainting the results, right? Uh, I think that that'll be one of the biggest, the biggest issues.
0: Yeah, and by the way, the, the to your to your point about bias and data, th- that is actually such an interesting point and a discussion that I've had with a couple of people. How do you come up with an unbiased data set? It's mm. not an easy thing to solve for to start with. It's true, and if if you if you're feeding a model, here is the reality that exists today because you don't want to inject something and that data set already includes biases. That's what your model is going to learn, whether you like it or not. If your intent is, Hey, learn it and somehow remove the biases. It means you have to make the model so much more intelligent. to be able to filter out what's a bias on its own.
1: Yeah. Without
0: a human intervention. And, that Those are the kind of problems that are not easy to solve. And with, with all the hype around it, these challenges still exist for people who are working on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I mentioned to you when we spoke before uh, the video, The AI Dilemma, that's yeah. on YouTube hour seven and a half minutes long i really always uh, mention it i highly encourage everybody to watch it because to me it gives information so that you can make your own decision and assessment of of ai generative ai good bad you know uh what's going on um i think there's some extraordinary things about it no question but i think it is also concerning uh And the part for me is what you mentioned, I think, at the very beginning. And that is this seemingly unbridled race to go to generative AI and implement uh, AI and use AI. Um, But it seems a little overzealous to me in, in some ways. But maybe I'm just an old guy that doesn't
0: get it. Yeah, you you're thinking about it right, Grant. <laughs> hey, I think I think it's the well, maybe one you talk to too many CISOs, so you're you're developing a lot more risk management <laughs> hat on top of your head. <laughs> uh, but you know that that is part of it. I think we uh, I, I used to joke, uh, but it doesn't. Uh, it's not necessarily outside of possibilities how most CISOs think about it. I used to joke about that we get paid to be paranoid and it's for the right reasons, not to stall the business, not to slow them down, but make them think yes. the consequences, outcomes so we make better decisions Totally. Like we don't have to come back and regret what decisions we made.
1: Yeah, listen, you don't want to, you know, um, did, did you see the headline about uh, the... Um, the hacker group reporting the company uh, to the SEC yeah so this hacking group that hacked this company didn't encrypt but stole their data and, and you know there's this new four, uh, four days you must report right so they report they reported to the SEC that this company was breached by them <laughs> It's now, you know, the extortion levels are just ratcheting up because this is how, you know, you pay or I'm going to tell the SEC and then they're going to fine you.
0: Yeah, that is. It, hey, uh, I I can't uh, even imagine the business models that the attackers have developed on how to monetize. Um, they've got every lever possible that they can use. Extraordinary. Um, and, yeah. No, no doubt
1: about it. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen is we all know, right, 90 plus percent, 91 percent of all breaches start with an email still today, 30 years later. And so what I forecast is that the samplings that these bad guys are going to be able to produce, the number of variations of phishing emails that they're able to throw out in the wild and then measure which one was the most effective and then go back and refine that one again. That's where I think they're really going to make hay because they can just assign the task of variation, right? Just go iterate and um, that's going to, you know, your point is spot on. It's like war. Right? You get a sword, I get a shield. I mean, and there we go back and forth and back and forth, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a, that's why it's continuous. Also connects back to your point about digital transformation because we keep changing what we're doing. It keeps opening up options on what to pursue. And yep. the other interesting thing is, certain trends, by the way, continue to change from industry to industry, like certain things. Banks will adopt first, then the healthcare, then the retailers. And I'm making up an example, but uh, with that movement or technology trends, yep. attackers oftentimes have advantage to have seen it in one place before the next one adopts. And they no can doubt. also define their capabilities. It no actually does happen because we see certain industries get harder because of the exact same thing they didn't get hit in the other industry. because of the moment and, in the meantime, the attackers learning and adopting as well.
1: Yeah, and we know they're constantly... uh, We talk about all these great new technologies, cloud, uh, functions, right? To be able to just write a Lambda function and spin up a data center or whatever. Well, the bad guys get to do all that same stuff, too. They have the same capabilities, and so that... We don't have the exclusive uh, corner on new technology. They they get it too, right?
0: Right. In fact, uh, uh, this is, uh, I would think, not uh, news for this audience, but uh, we already know plenty of instances where an attacker who's sitting in Africa or Russia or, you know, pick your part of the world, but they utilize one of the cloud services hosted in North America. And that's where they launch it from. <laughs> yeah. Or, or exactly.
1: multiple.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Then it takes tremendous amount of effort, time to figure out the attribution. And sometimes people just give up. It's not worth it. I totally. All you can do is protect what you got because it is very hard to chase after the source of the time. Yes. Just yep. because, to your point, there's so much variations available, yep. and it's at everyone's disposal. Whoever is willing to pay 25 bucks a month can yep. actually spin up something enough yep. to start a little bit of disturbance, enough to bring down at least small companies, if not the big ones.
1: Totally. Totally. Which,
0: so I want to ask
1: before we run out of time. I want to move because I I think this is kind of related, and it has to do with you know digital transformation and and the fact that we've got bandwidth, connectivity, compute, storage, all just going off the hook. Right? Yeah. It, it seems I, I want to hear maybe your view on services, and what I mean is you know kind of that next XDR. Um, um, threat hunting, incident response, uh, and then subsequently using services as opposed to doing it all in-house. Where are you guys at on all of that? Uh,
0: I think uh, it depends. There are a lot of factors that go into those kind of decisions. So I will start off with, uh, number one, it depends on the maturity of the organization itself. Um, and the speed by which you might want to get to a certain maturity level. So I'm making up an example. Uh, Let's say we just acquired an organization that has no EDR. Right. Well, you want to go out and fix that problem right away. and You you want to make sure that basic protection is at least available. Um, There could be a situation, let's say, someone's just joined a new organization as a CISO, and come to find out the, the security operations center and security monitoring is inadequate. Well, unfortunately, that's not a problem that you can solve by installing a software. That right. takes strategy, that takes a lot of work, a lot of coordination. And someone might think, I'm going to go to this managed service provider and they can spin it up much faster and they can get me the outcomes because I don't have to hire the talent and do any right. of this. Completely different decision-making. Another bucket that I can think of is where it's a, it's a relatively static type of work. There's good playbooks, there's clear scripts that are written, and that's an opportunity where you say, I can get some econo- economics of scale if I use a third party that does it for 20 other organizations. Right, And that could be a way for us you to think about more of a service provider versus in-house. And invest in your talent internally to do more of the engineering and architecture type of work rather than work that's just following scripts Mm -hmm. or just following one particular playbook every time. So there's all these variations that determine what you want to use. And then finally, um, with all the cost pressures and economy, where it's headed and a lot of unpredictability, um you always want to think about how do you get the best bang for your buck right nobody i would say almost nobody has infinite budgets yeah some very few cisos claim uh, there's no bar um but we we have to work within the confines of what is acceptable risk versus so you could spend a billion dollar and still not be safe Right, Or you could spend $100 million really effectively or $20 million extremely effectively and get decent outcomes and acceptable risk for your organization. Um, So that also plays into making those decisions on how you think about in-source, outsource, versus what you need to fix with the technology versus with people and process. Um, All three play a role but you have to know where to apply which one, and it's not right. exactly the same answer every time. The ratios yeah, and change yeah. in all of those. And, and, and they have changed,
1: right, over the course of the last uh, couple of decades as the technology, the underpinnings, have enabled new capabilities, uh, new ways to utilize the Internet for business from virtually anywhere, right? All of those factors end up changing that right. equation for sure. Right.
0: For sure. And by the way, Grant, this is also a great example of connecting dots to a previous conversation, not necessarily to drag us back there. Um, in a security operation center type of setting where you have playbooks and you have L1 or even L2 to some level uh, that perform the incident response activities or mm-hmm. doing triaging and... Responding to alerts, Uh, that's a decent application of AI. Like where you can actually, within some confines, feed the adequate playbooks to a generative AI to figure out the answers and take some actions. Perfect example. allow to free up from utilizing manual power to actually do it in a way that is still effective. Uh, But obviously, you want to have some kind of oversight and guardrails to make sure it's done with the consequences that you're expecting.
1: Yeah, no, no question. And there, uh, it's assigning that task right. Um, Once we understand how to plug that hole, perfect application for sure. Absolutely.
0: Well, hey,
1: this you know, for the sake of time, because I mean, I could talk with you for another hour or two, but I know you got plenty to do. But I really want to thank you very much for coming on the program and talking with us. I hope we can have you back, Amon.
0: I will look forward to it. And it's a pleasure to talk to you, Grant. You do such an awesome job. Um, after we talked last last time, I went back and listened to some of your podcasts. Fabulous job. Keep doing. Uh, and always uh, here for you if you need something.
1: That's, I appreciate that so much, Amon. Thank you very, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the Chief Information Security Officer, IT Risk and IT VMO at Humana, Aman Rahasia. What a great conversation. I feel like every time, you know, just about every one of my guests, when I'm finished, I feel like I've got a new friend. Uh, so uh, really, thank you so much, Aman. It was really terrific. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening, tuning in, liking, sharing, telling your friends, subscribing. And we'll look forward to having you back on the next episode of CISO Secrets. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends and colleagues.